Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles and I are talking to Zach Kaplan, who is the CEO of Inventables. Zach and Doc and I have some mutual friends. And so we decided to get together here and, t- and kind of nerd out on maker culture. We'll get, we'll get to that more in a little bit. Uh, Inventables, his company, makes a really interesting CNC machine that I think kind of makes fabrication of cool stuff a little bit more approachable. I think we can talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But before we get started about, you know, all that exciting maker stuff, I wanted to remind everyone to go to our website at reality2cast.com. That is the number two in the URL. You can sign up for our newsletter, which we occasionally send out. (laughs) You can get links and and more info about all of our episodes. So definitely check that out. Also, thank you to our Patreon and coffee supporters. I haven't done that in a while, but thank you all. Um, You help keep us motivated, even with (laughs) even any little bit keeps us a little bit more motivated somehow. Uh, and we appreciate it. We appreciate the feedback from all the people who email us. And yeah, so thanks. So Zach, tell us, I'm really curious, and, and I think our readers would be too, how you got here. So a little bit of background. I don't know how many of our listeners know this about me, actually. So I actually studied decorative arts history in grad school, which is, yes, that's a thing that people do. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, crazy, that's right? Good. Yeah, yeah. And I went to grad school in, in New York City. And I remember at the time, um, I had some connection or somebody I knew worked for a company called Material Connection. And it was basically a library of cool, cool material, like for, for making stuff. And I thought it was like the cool, it was like Disney World for design nerds. And I always, I, I remember, you know, every time our mutual friends mentioned you, that's what I thought about. I thought about Material Connection and, and that was the connection I made in my head. So I, I kind of love it if you could give us a little bit of background on forming your company and how you got here and what you're into and where you are now. Sure. Uh, So back, I I went to college for mechanical engineering. And even before that, during high school, I took like a high school engineering class where we got the, it was the first year they had combined the manual machine shop with the digital uh, fabrication lab. So I was very lucky to be in that first class. And so I got exposed to sort of both sides of making stuff through the computer and with your hands, through with machines. So that insp- that's what inspired me to go get a degree in mechanical engineering. What I learned at, during the university experience was during high school, it was, it was more project-based and mastery-based where you had some sort of challenge or engineering problem you were trying to solve. And then you would iterate and use the math and calculus to figure out a solution to the problem. Once we got to college, it was more like, uh, you know, problem set based. So each engineering discipline was a, um, a different version of calculus. There wasn't, at my program, there weren't any projects at the time, maybe one project in four years. <laughs> so I really wanted to get back to building stuff and more of the kinds of things we were doing in um, high school. D- during college, I had started a custom software company and that company got bought out uh, about six months after I graduated. And at the time, I was very interested in this company called IDEO. So if you're not familiar with IDEO, they're headquartered out in Palo Alto. They were famous for designing things like the first Apple mouse. Um, mm. So they're a oh, consultancy. One, yeah. 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 There was another IDEO that Twitter came out of, or a name like that. So, But I know the one you're talking about. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so they had this thing that they called the tech box. And it was like a collection of all sorts of materials and technologies 
they had a database and we chatted with them and our idea was we're going to commercialize the tech box. And so we started an independent company called Inventables. And it, it wasn't, there was any, no like legal or equity relationship with IDEO. It was more just like a friendly um, partnership, you might say. And once a month, we had like a knowledge sharing call with their curator of the tech box. And we sold this subscription that included materials and technologies and processes. And we, we called it uh, Design Aid. And companies, big companies like Nike and Procter and Gamble, Black and Decker, subscribed, and every three months they would get this box that had twenty new materials and technologies. And so, from two thousand two to two thousand nine, I'd say, um, we were essentially an alternative to Material Connection. So, Material Connection, you could physically go to their space in New York, where our product or subscription was that we would ship it out to you. So we had about a hundred different companies, R&D groups and industrial design groups all over the country that would get our box every three months. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Materials delivery. That's like the ultimate like crafter <clears throat> subscription right there. Super nerd crafter. Yeah. It was all stuff with unexpected properties. So uh, for example, we had magnets. They were soft and squishy, but also very strong magnets. So it was like totally unexpected. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. God, I would. I've never thought of a magnet as being anything other than a solid. Exactly. That's interesting. Wow. That's, that's yeah. why they were there, right? Hey. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. That is really cool. So, that's like, like so gummy, ma- ma- gummy magnets. I gummy magnets. Chewable <laughs> magnets. Tasty. That's even yeah. weirder. Okay. Yeah. Huh. All right. I could actually think of some medical applications for that. I don't know what I think about it. Anyway. Um, cool. So actually is that is that what they use when you when you have acid reflux and you have that surgery where it like magnetizes <laughs> your esophageal sphincter and it like anyway um so 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 how did you get from the subscription box to where you are now yeah so in 2008 2009 you started seeing all of these secular trends around maker culture and the internet in general so uh things like shopify came out etsy came out amazon announced um that they would do fulfillment by Amazon. Well, they'll ship your product, even though Amazon wasn't selling it, which at the time was kind of like a, a big deal. And then um, the first million dollar Kickstarter happened. So it was this guy who was our, our client at Nike. His name is Scott Wilson. And he did a Kickstarter. I think he was going for like $15,000 to get the tooling to make, it was a watch band for the iPod, the iPod Nano, which would effectively make the first Apple watch. And so he was just expecting to get like, you know, $15,000, which would be enough to buy the tool to shoot the mold. And then he was going to sell the watch band. And he did a million dollars on Kickstarter. So this was before there had ever been a Kickstarter that big. Mm. And so I saw this and I knew him from, because they were our client at Nike and he, he was an industrial designer. He worked in their timing and tech lab. And so that was sort of like a, pivotal moment in my thinking because I was like at the moment I was like oh my gosh the designers aren't going to need the big companies anymore they're just going to be able to go to Kickstarter and launch their thing and get funded and not have a company so it didn't exactly turn out that way but no it depends on on your Kickstarter project I guess but the um but the idea that like the social media was making it so you could reach customers without advertising like, you know, in the traditional mm-hmm. sense on TV or magazines, 
e-commerce software and uh, delivery is making it so you could do fulfillment without a big company. And now Kickstarter had solved the, the capital piece. And so we recognized that the future of innovation wasn't going to happen in the walls of the Fortune 500 company. And so we started asking the question like, okay, so what is the future going to look like? And we decided it was going to be more massively distributed. And because of that, we wanted to essentially make what we were doing for these big companies accessible to anyone with an idea. And then, so you settled on a CNC, why? Because that's where you are now. That's where we're at, right? So it didn't start that way. So the first thing we did is we took the entire library of materials, which was at the time a couple thousand, that we were charging about $100,000 a year for to these big companies. And we put it online for free. Um, So we switched it instead of, so it was like, I I can't remember if it was Tim O'Reilly or somebody said like information wants to be free. That was like one of the- Yeah, a lot of us said that. Yeah, everybody- (laughs) It's not quite true, but it's cool. It's not true. It's a nice idea. It's a nice idea. (laughs) It so may we want charging... to, but it doesn't come out that way all the time. Exactly. <laughs> None of us so get we... what we want, including. <laughs> <laughs> so we were charging about $100,000 for this information. And, you know, we, we ingested that tagline and spit it out and turned it around and said, okay, the information will now be free, but you'll pay for the materials. So we launched a, essentially a website where we took the password off our website and added a buy button. And we called it the Innovators uh, Hardware Store. Hmm. And so it was growing gradually and we were adding new materials all the time and it made what we were doing available, not just to the big companies, but to anybody with a internet connection. And about two or three years in, I was introduced to um, an open source $600 CNC machine. And so we uh, essentially partnered with the the couple of people who were part of the project and sourced all the components and put essentially a pre-order campaign on inventables.com. And uh, it effectively quadrupled our monthly revenue when we did that. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay. <laughs> wow. People want the tools to, to make new products more than they want the materials. And so that was interesting. And so we, we I think we sold about 12 or 1500 of those. And, um, what we started to realize at the time, we just assumed that the CAD, CAM, and machine control software to run one of those, there, there was plenty of it out there, was um, acceptable or, or effectively uh, useful enough because there was both free and paid um, options out there. Millions of people use SolidWorks and um, those types of programs. What we found was it was really too complex for most of the people who are buying our machine. And so uh, that was where we launched Easel, which is our software that runs it. So it's CAD, CAM, and machine control. So three pieces of software that are typically part of the tool, ch- the CAM, CAD, CAM tool chain. And we put it all in one. We also put it in the browser. So historically, those were all mm. desktop applications where you have to export out of one, import into that. So we put it all in the browser. So you could enable things like sharing and you, um, you've probably seen on our website, like the projects. So yeah, it's cool. almost 10,000 projects up there now. Um, and you can share things like, you know, the speeds and feeds and projects and <clears throat> collaborate in real time. So that's actually one of the, so one of the be, things I really wait. wanted to talk about. Go ahead, doc. 
I, I was saying, it, it, does that has it fostered community among your uh, users for those things? Yeah. So there, there's about a million people who have uh, an Easel account, and about you know a quarter million to three hundred thousand are active in any given year. Mm. So that's a lot. That's a it's a lot, it's a of, lot people. of people and making stuff. Yeah, a lot of people making stuff, and uh, there's an active forum. So. And now there's also many, many active Facebook groups. Um, wow. so last year, two years, I can't remember because the pandemic sort of blurs together. We launched the ability for third-party machines. So machines not made by Inventables are now compatible with Easel. And I think there's about 60 of them mm. in there. And so now there's not only Inventables communities, but communities of people using Easel with other machines and Facebook groups for all, every one of those. Wow. So... So I want to make sure I have this right. You're entirely bootstrapped with this, I guess, right? Are you? Well, until 2009. So yeah. I, I started raising venture capital in 2009. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's a it's a it's a private company, or it's a I haven't looked it up. So. Yeah, no, it's it's a private company. Yeah. So your VC should be happy, I would hope, by this point. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, when hopes always. Uh, so wow. So can you, for people who aren't in front of their laptop right this second, looking yeah. at your site, like we are, um, can we talk about the, the types of things that, that people tend to make with your materials and tools? Absolutely. So like what are the most popular things? Yeah. So uh, it, it's really been a progression. So I'd say in the earlier days, people started with signs and okay. I would say making signs was the number one application. Gradually, signs bled into home goods, so things like picture frames and um, cake toppers and uh, all sorts of like desk accessories. And then that bled into um, furniture and cabinets. So it, you guys can see the, the machine behind me. So our first machine, the, the bed size, I think it was about nine eight or nine inches by eight or nine inches so mm -hmm. obviously there's only so many things you can make on that yeah the one behind me is four foot by four foot yeah and so as we've expanded the size of the work piece like the the bed it's expanded what you can make with it and so today we have a lot of like cabinet makers and carpenters who are doing things like built-ins and kitchens and uh like stuff like what's behind doc um Oh yeah, this <laughs> I'm in a I'm in a basement, but yeah, it's cabinetry basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And storage solutions. How right. many people are hobbyists versus people who are reselling? Yeah, so it's it's about eighty two percent have commercial intent. So okay. Wow, that's there, interesting. There, there's a, a line that's blurred on like hobbyist and reseller right. hobby business because yeah. especially today, so many people have a side hustle. Mm -hmm. Right, especially in the pandemic, it even got accelerated further right, than yeah. working from home. Um, so that line gets blurred, but then uh, a lot of the cabinet makers, it's their full time job, so they can be like a contractor or a cabinet maker, and they typically have a company with like one to ten employees. So I, I, I'm, 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 as I'm looking around your website, which I can't help doing because it's, yeah. it's, it's too interesting. Um, I. It, it seems to me like that. I mean, it, it it has your gear like become like the way to do this stuff, or is or do, do you have competitors here doing similar things at this point? We, we um, do have competitors, but um, 
it, it's really with within what segment of the market. And so if you're in the segment yeah. of the market that wants it to be extremely easy to use and you're more focused on the output than the software and the technology, mm-hmm. then we're, we're the, the, the favorite choice. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're more interested, like on, on the hobby end, if you're more interested in tinkering with the hardware, like there's more um, kit-based versions that people are into where it's more about the machine and tinkering with the machine than the output. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the the startup cost? Let's say, okay, I want I want one of your big machines and I want enough materials to get started. And I yeah. want to go, let's say, hardcore hobbyist. Okay. How, do I, how do I get into this? I'm asking for a friend who is me. Because <laughs> I, I, I want to make this Micron pen holder. So no, I'm serious with that. Uh, so what is the startup cost for me yeah, so- as a nerd? So as a nerd, like what I would say, the first thing to do is just use the software and we have a free version and it's free. Um, awesome. And so the, the, the first thing you can do is just get in there and start designing what you want to design for free. And I would encourage you to get into the, one of the communities and find somebody near you who can carve out whatever it is that you want to do. Uh-huh. And then you could go over to their, either their makerspace or their garage and carve it. And so the two things will happen there. One is you'll get a firsthand experience of carving something. Two is you'll, you'll make a friend who knows more about it than you. Um, and <clears throat> three is you'll see if you like it before you put any money into the, the whole thing. Good advice. Um, but then, okay, so you decide, yeah, this is pretty cool. I have a spot. Um, there's, there's sort of, we offer two machines currently. There's the X-Carve and the X-Carve Pro. Yeah. And depending on your plan, you know, if, if you want to just do it for the love of it, if you want to have some sort of income come from it, or if you want it to be your full-time thing, there's different ways you can pay. So for the little one, it's about 2,500 bucks, but we will offer it um, through a firm, which is like a buy now pay later. Mm -hmm. So you can get the fully loaded one for $73 a month. And so I actually recommend if you are trying to make a, a business out of it or at least earn some sort of income from it that you do use the affirm financing because then you're not out any money. You can use that money for materials. And then you just have to sell enough stuff to cover the 73 bucks plus your cost of materials each month, which is a pretty low bar. And it yeah. keeps you focused on, um, you know, just little bit by little bit building your business. What we find is the, you know, you, you make a couple things, you mess up a couple of times and then you make something and you're like, what do I do with this? People give it away. So you start giving, you make stuff and start giving it away. That giving away then gets people who see the thing that you gave. And then you start getting inbound like, Hey, so-and-so showed me this thing you made. Can you make me one? And that's your first sale. And then hmm. <clears throat> it tends to be a referral business. Like lots of people have put stuff up on Etsy. It's very hard to make a financially successful business on Etsy because <clears throat> there's so much competition at that point you're basically selling a commodity right the yeah. the sweet spot that um our customers get into is that they actually carve out a niche and they either have a very specific community that they're um servicing <clears throat> or a local they become the local person who knows how to do this stuff and can do it custom right yeah so if you do like uh Really cool house numbers. I'm just making that one up because we're looking around our community, right? And yeah. it's an old, it's an old, all the houses built in 1900, roughly. And uh, we're looking at one right now. Um, 
But if somebody like has one of these things and gets into like really cool house numbers that look kind of like this community, then yeah. they then then people see those and go find that person and everybody knows each other. Yeah, that's really 100%. cool. Because I, if you go to like the the big box store, you know they don't have that style. They've got the mass manufactured one from overseas. Yeah. And so today, people all want it to be like unique and special to them. Yeah, there's some really cool projects on here. I, I if you're listening, I hope you're you're yeah, already gone there's... to inventables.com/projects. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so I, I have this problem where I, I want to make all all of these things, and I think I'm going <laughs> to buy a second house just to you know. I think that's what I would have to do. I so one of the things I really wanted to ask about was yeah. furniture making. Okay. Because I, you know, it, it it's something that just interests me in general. I, you know, the history of it, the 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 industrialization of it, the the design of it, all of the things. Um, yeah. And I wondered, you know, I, I see I see a lot of examples here. I mean, you, you mentioned cabinet makers making custom yeah. cabinetry and and furniture and stuff. But I always I, I've also noticed you have some like some people who are modding IKEA furniture, which is kind of a kind of a fun you know idea. Yeah. kind of creative outlet there and I, I i don't know i wonder like how how hardcore do people get with furniture design i mean what i mean there are limitations to what a cnc machine can do obviously you're not talking you know hand carved you know uh, decoration or anything like that but but I, i'm i'm kind of interested in like is that was that the last thing like when, when did people start making furniture i think you kind of you mentioned it a little yeah, bit yeah it's, it's really how complex the- does it get it, it gets very complex, but, um, you know, complexity is free with digital tools. So yeah. the furniture, it, it didn't come about because of that. It came about because the bigger machine came out. Oh, right. Um, okay, yes. So almost everybody who's doing furniture is using the bigger machine right. <clears throat> just because it's, it's more practical. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can do very intricate stuff. There's a, a tool called the V-bit, which basically comes to a point. And so mm-hmm. you can do a lot of like the, um, you know, intricate lion heads and um, Louis Sullivan type uh, floral type decorative uh, trim pieces. Today, a lot like the most popular types of um, cabinet doors are either flat or shaker style. Uh Mm. And so we see a lot of people doing that. With the CNC, you know, you can do things that a traditional cabinet maker or, or even furniture maker isn't able to do uh, quickly or, or ef- efficiently. And so we've got some customers who are doing like rounded wood, uh, side mm-hmm. tables mm-hmm. because the CNC is really easy, but, um, you know, doing that by hand, you'd waste a lot of wood. It would take a lot of time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've seen people do a lot of like parametric art and parametric furniture where it's got all sorts of cool yeah. waves mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I'm looking at a picture you know, so like, right now. To, to make a cabinet by hand, to cut to cut all the parts out, you know, it's probably if you have a table saw, it probably takes an hour or two. You know, you gotta measure it all, cut it all. On this machine, like um, I've done one in about 15 minutes, right? Because you just load the material, click the button, and then do 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 do. So cool. Yeah. Are you limited on the type of wood you can use? Up to four inches, but you know. Yeah, just the size. Any type of wood. Four foot by four foot by four inches tall is the thickest. But most cabinets are made out of three quarter inch plywood. Yeah. Or, um, three quarter inch MDF. Yeah, you could do go for mid century or something with a yeah. lot of uh, plywood. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, at some of the Facebook stuff, and you're right, it's massive. Um, yeah. Um, 
I, and when I'm, when there are even ones that are like my people, I didn't even, I didn't even know they like this stuff, but there it is, you know, <laughs> Stephen Vaughn Nichols is like a writer on open source things. And, um, but it, a, a couple of things strike me. One is there, yeah. is there any symbiosis with this and the 3d printing world? Because it seems that there's something similar in the way that these things work or the kind of sensibility it appeals to. Uh, yeah. So there, I mean, I would say there's a little bit of overlap in the communities. Mm -hmm. but not as much as you would think. Mm -hmm. um, people who are doing stuff with our tools, you know, it, it's a lot of, it's more things that you can either use or sell where mm -hmm. a lot of the 3d printer stuff, just because of the nature of the medium and the parts that come off of it, it, it tends to be more hobbyist um, tinkering around, at least in the, in the residential environment. Yeah. Or, you know, super expensive $150,000 machines in the industrial environment, which is sort of out of scope for right. creativity. So ours sort of, um, I would say it's almost more, a little bit more symbiosis with lasers than 3D printing. Because mm. um, the lasers also tend to make stuff that you can sell. Um, it, lasers do a good job with like acrylics. And so sometimes, you know, you'll see mixed media where they, do the wood on the CNC and the acrylics on the laser and then mm. have some sort of assembly. Do you have a lot of schools buying these things? Yeah. It's like about 10, 10 or 15%. Wow. Oh, That's wow. cool. That is cool. Yeah. A lot of the schools today are going for the X car pro the big one. Yeah. Yeah. And they put, they put it in the sh like the wood shop. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. And they use it also for the first robotics um, team. You know, oh yeah, that's very cool. Woodshop for me was wow. We got in addition to the to the bench saw. Now we have a radial arm saw, and a, <laughs> and we don't have a lathe yet, but we do have a drill press. I mean, that's how primitive it was. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine a kid coming up today in middle oh school God. or junior it's high. So much better. You have it's access so to like a digital fabrication facility. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. So cool. Do, do you get the sense like this is out of control ever? <laughs> I mean, it seems so successful that, um, you know, you got to, uh, I mean, it, it seems like you've got problems people would want to have, but I mean, I mean, where people are making every damn thing in the world, I mean, there's a, a steering wheel. Oh my God. <laughs> a wooden steering wheel. Um, you know, uh, uh, the signs for Gryffindor and Slytherin and, uh, and these other Harry Potter things. Lots of YouTubers that are authorities on this that are on YouTube talking about it. And um, I, it, it's, this is one of those moments I wish my father, who, was, who died many years ago, but he was a carpenter. I'm, I'm like the first in like five generations who's not a carpenter in my yeah. family, though my grandkids, that last name is Carpenter. So <laughs> my daughter married a carpenter. So, so that might make a difference. But um, it's a, this is exciting stuff. I, mean, I really have a sense it's like, you know, you created something that's, but it's maybe it's not out of control because you actually you've got a, a few simple things. I mean, what you've got is inherently simple, I suppose, in the sense that you don't, you don't have a lot of SKUs, right? You're not dealing. Correct. You're not dealing with that. You, you have like two basic or th several basic SKUs. You've got the easel software, which is endlessly improved, I suppose, by uh, interaction with your, with your constituency. So, um, that tends to be self-correcting, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
the, the you know the complexity is sort of out there in the community and i guess you could say complexity or energy yeah because um, the scale of the activity is quite high and i think that's the exciting part is it's also growing um yeah i think that there's this is early days and you're just now starting to see <coughs> enough density of applications and uh, enough density of community that's doing it where where new people every day are discovering that this is even possible where mm-hmm. if you think back you know 20 or 30 years ago to to make a cabinet or you know a piece of furniture you had to be like a trained tradesperson with years of experience and probably an apprenticeship where now yeah. you know, yeah. You just click the button on our website and pay $73 for the first month. You get the machine shows up, the software is free. Like you don't even your first projects, you don't even have to design it. You open, you go to the project section and click one you like, click carve, and you've like fabricated the first one. You gotta like assemble it. But the barrier to entry has dramatically reduced. And every year it's getting lower and lower and lower, both in terms of um, accessibility and cost. So upstream on on materials, right? So yeah. I imagine that's is that interesting right now with the with the supply chain squeeze? Oh yes. <laughs> and by interesting, you might want to say expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. There's there's a uh, again Howard Moore uh, once said it this thing called how to speak Minnesotan and um, interesting means bad and you bet means good, right? So, <laughs> so that's probably just a subject of the forums as well. So people are looking for all kinds of sources for. For stuff what's the most common material is it some kind of maple or or what and i mean so what what are people mostly working with when they're yeah i was pre-pandemic and pre uh war in ukraine i'd say like baltic birch was probably the most Mm. commonly used material for furniture and cabinets because just of the quality and um, cost comparison but you know the baltics include russia and so now the supply from russia is gone mm. so that's driven the cost of baltic birch up there's other countries out there i think like finland also supplies baltic birch so that's being worked is, is out is canada now planting baltic birch <laughs> probably <laughs> i don't know i would if i was there I'd say well wait a minute what's what's russia doing they're arctic too so let's uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know if it grows up there but if it does i'm sure they're doing it it probably does um, it, yeah you also see a lot of the manufactured stuff like MDF and every year there's new innovations and the MDF of 20 years ago is not the MDF of today. What does MDF stand for? Uh, Medium density fiberboard. Oh, real. Very good. I wouldn't have known. Okay. I'm actually wondering what CNC exactly means too. So. Oh, CNC stands for computer numerical control. Oh, wow. Very good. Okay. We actually call it 3d carving. That's better. (laughs) Easier to understand than CNC. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you can use woods, you can use plastics, you can use soft metals like aluminum, brass, copper. It's it's really broad, um, the different types of materials you can put in the machine. All you have to do is change the bit and then um, Easel will recommend different speeds or feeds based on what bit you've chosen for the given material. Hmm. But a lot of people, especially when you get started, they'll use like pine just because it's inexpensive relative to um, expensive plywoods or... Yeah, yeah. Um, just scrap wood from the scrap bin, <laughs> the cut, go to, go to the back of the Home Depot and find the offcuts. And... So, so has this uh, penetrated Lowe's and Home Depot by any chance? Like they're saying, wait a minute, there are enough people around here making, we should start supplying some of that Nordic uh, wood and whatever. No, not really. Um, yeah. I would say um, 
Home Depot and Lowe's are really servicing the building construction type materials. Right. Yeah. You don't see a lot of furniture grade stuff there. In most towns, you've got like a lumber yard that has the more furniture grade plywood. Yeah. Um, they tend to, to be more of like a local shop or online. Yeah. All right. Right. But it gets heavy. So shipping is a little impractical to ship a four foot, five foot sheet of Baltic birch. It's like, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that would, that would argue for going to the local actual lumber yard or hardware store, which is knows their market better. Whereas exactly. And also people like to like inspect it's wood, right? It's not a manufactured material. It's natural. So people like to like inspect their wood and see what the grain pattern is. And if there's any notches or, depending on what they're doing. Like if you're making a table. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the material behind you is probably melamine, um, which is the manufactured. Uh, let's see. Hard to tell. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, I don't think it, well, this might be wood. This might actually be wood. The framing is wood. The doors, I'm not sure. Um, the screws behind the handles have an Ikea ish feel to them. But okay. I, I'm feeling them so they're not, no, there's not an Allen wrench uh, hole in there. So I'd probably not. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. But melamine is like that, that yeah. white material that's sort of a manufactured. Oh, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think this, this is old enough. It's built in the 80s. So maybe okay. not. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm renting here. This is um, This is not my place. So I have not given it a deep inspection. My main concern down here is that it's had a smell of death for a long time, like something <laughs> died in the wall. But because it hasn't gone away, I'm beginning to think it's gas, but there's, oh. there's not a gas house. They don't, they don't use gas here. It's all electric. So maybe there's something out. I don't know. It just, that occurred to me today. <laughs> so <laughs> off topic, but interesting. <clears throat> Um, but I mean, looking at your stuff, I mean, I, yeah. you know, we're, we're looking at a house here. We're thinking of getting a house here. Um, you know, the, and I was looking at the basement in that house, which is actually at a, at a level where you can actually drive into it. So it's like, uh, there would be room in there for that thing <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. for your, for your X carve there, you know, and, and if it's software and so forth that we want to build out a bunch of stuff inside, that's kind of an interesting thought. I just talked to a guy who he's thinking about starting a cabinet business, but rather than doing that, his first thing is he bought this to do his own kitchen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I'll see if I like it. If I like it, maybe I'll start the business. Well, that's, yeah. I, I wouldn't think of starting a business. I'm too old to start any business at this point, but, um, but the, but the thought of building some custom stuff in there, you know, like a couple of rooms there need some cabinetry, some closets, the, the house is built in 1900. All of them around here are built oh, in 1900. So, yeah. so they have these tiny closets and bathrooms that, that replaced the privy that was out back when they built the play, the original thing. These yeah, are, these it, are, custom yeah. cabinetry, custom closet, that adds up. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, if, you, if you've got time and you're retired, then yeah. you know, it could end up being well, the I, same cost. I don't have either. <laughs> I'm not retired. <laughs> and I don't have time. I'm old enough. Like, you know, most people I know my age are retired or dead, so it's a, <laughs> it's terrible. But I'm I'm busy, <laughs> so I'm not doing that. <laughs> but but the fantasy is still there. I mean, it it's it's a human thing. I mean, we're yeah. we have opposable thumbs for a reason and brains, right? So, um, 
and people like to make stuff. This is a, this is, I mean, you've tapped into like the most human urge there is, I think, you know, to make things, yeah. you know, I mean, look at surnames, you know, Smith and Cooper and, you know, <laughs> Carpenter. <laughs> They're, these are people who made, you have ancestors that made stuff, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. People like making stuff and then they like storing it. <laughs> I know there's so much junk. Oh my God. You know, so that's, we've moved enough so that we've unloaded most of our junk, but you know, my, my, a friend of mine in Los Angeles, her husband died and he actually had a room that she was forbidden to go into. That was mostly his stuff. She pulled tons, literally measured them tons of stuff out of there, including layers of old printers that, you know, for which there's no ink now or whatever, you know, it just crazy, crazy stuff. So it's sort of the opposite. This is coming into the front end of that. <laughs> but this, I, I imagine most of the stuff that gets made by your customers. Yeah. Doesn't like, doesn't go straight to, or, or even indirectly to the, to uh, goodwill or the landfill. I mean, it, it there's, I mean, when I look at say, and I don't mean to insult this company, but like at home goods or a lot of these places, yeah. if you look at a pie chart of where stuff ends up in five years, you know, there's the, you know, the, this much for, I'm using my hands and most people are listening. Um, they're all listening actually. But I mean, I, I, I think of a, you know, what, what comes out of, you know, a, a jewelry store, none of it ends up in the, in the, in the landfill or, or goes right. to goodwill. But what comes out of Walmart as, you know, or, or home goods or a lot of these other places doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, goes to, you know, I, I have this whole thing thought out, but I'm not expressing it very well. But, but when you make stuff for yourself, as different, right? I mean, yeah. it, it really is custom. It really is yours. It's more yours than other stuff. Yeah. And even if it, you're making it for somebody, like it's custom for them. Right. So they put right, thought into yeah. it. They know exactly what they want and they can't get it at whatever the store is. It's also a much more considered purchase, right? You know, than than uh, just the impulse buy that you had on Amazon. Right? Exactly. I'm out of I'm out of batteries. I need some more. <laughs> whatever. So Catherine, does this make you fantasize about your other house? <laughs> no. She's on mute. So <laughs> she's talking. <laughs> Well, that explains a lot. Um, it's a good thing I muted out some of the words I just said. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the funny thing, so what it really appeals to me, um, you know, in, in the buying extra houses to store all my stuff uh, line of thinking. So I, I really like historic houses. So you mentioned that, you know, you're, you're looking at a house that's, you know, all the houses in the area are built around 1900. I I prefer older if I can get it, frankly, but that's a whole other, I, I have in the past when I was younger and had more energy, worked on restoration and, and stuff like that. And something like this, there's always a challenge, especially like if, imagine, you know, restoring a Victorian house. There's always some little intricate piece of woodwork. You're never going to match it, but with this, you could design and, you know, that kind of thing appeals to me tremendously that you could, you know, really, really get into some, some, um, just better restoration because you can better reproduce decorative elements and, and, and things that, that, you know, have gone by the wayside over the years. And yeah. yeah. Um, like, so anyway. if you had a Victorian house, you can actually scan some of those. Yeah. Like if, if That's you have I was thinking, yeah. the one on the right side, the left side got broken and then mm -hmm. carve a duplicate. Yeah. 
I'm totally going ordering one of these when I get that Victorian house I don't own yet, but I will. Right. I'm gonna... Actually, the thing so is I... drawers yeah. like um, organization. You know, you open up your drawer and there's just a bunch of stuff in there. So there's this whole community around. It's called Kaizen foam that they typically use in like mm. mechanic shops. Huh. So <clears throat> a lot of people are now doing that for their own shop and their own drawers and garages and things like that. Where if you know what's in your drawer, then you cut out the template and then you put all the stuff in there. <laughs> So for like cosmetics or for mm-hmm. your bathroom, your camera stuff, your drill bits, whatever it is. Custom storage. Oh, oh that's that sounds that's a whole other kind. We could do an entire episode on people organizing really your it. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I, I a actually, lot of times um, the first projects people do, and we even have a whole section on it, you can see is storage, shop gear and tool storage. Right. So if you go to the projects section and click. Uh, shop gear and tools you could see all the different <laughs> oh, i instantly gravitated toward a, a a little um storage a holder for your for your uh your fancy pens and i was like, <laughs> I was like yeah. oh my god i need that the micron pen holder i need it desperately i don't know very appealing oddly yeah i can yeah i could see yeah it's it's interesting that i i really agree with it what doc said earlier that you really tapped into this very human desire to pick up a tool and make a thing for yourself that is yours and yours alone um aside from the commercial and that's you know completely aside from the commercial application but but um there's there's another interesting urge which is uh there's a, a wonderful book by Stuart Brand, which I've probably mentioned before on the show. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, called How Buildings Learn. And it's, it's basically about how buildings change over time. And it has a bunch of wonderful one-liners that like, like form follows funding, right? And, um, <laughs> and, and one of my favorites, I don't know if it's from that or from one of the other things he said, which is there's no urge more human, including the urges for food and sex than the urge to alter a permanent structure. So, you know, you move into a house and you immediately want to like enclose the porch or open the porch or put in a dormer or, you know, you know, pave the drive, whatever it is, you know, it takes this wall goes out. There's got to be access to this bathroom. That one goes over there. I don't like the way they did this, you know, and I'm actually encouraged by the the house that we looked at today. The the door frames haven't changed. The doors are all from 1900, you know, and the. The, the, the floors are still mostly from 1900 and most of them aren't squishy, but, um, you know, but, but still, you know, there's been some crappy things done. Like we put in the wrong, you know, like a, another closet here that doesn't look right. And, and they added a bathroom where it makes those sense, that kind of stuff like that. Um, so everybody wants to change that stuff. So when you do that, I mean, that, I mean, not all of that stuff is going to be done the way using your tools, but, yeah. but I, I think a lot of the finishing work for sure is going to be like that or i'm even looking at things like um you know like the your your ceiling cans up there where with the recessed lights right yeah well maybe i want to i want a different border on that i i, I want it to match the door frames you know i'm gonna i'm gonna make a wooden one i'll look at it you know there's a size here i'll fit it on there there it goes absolutely yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I form guess. follows funding is a it's a great line. And <laughs> also, if you, th- I was lo- recently looking it up. So, I think it's about cabinets alone is about twelve billion dollars a year in the United States. Wow. So I started asking, like, where are all these? Like, why do we need all these cabinets? <laughs> but it's, it's exactly what. Stuff. Like, well, it's, have you ever seen George for George our micron Bar- pens? Of course. <laughs> I I advise everybody listening to 
go to YouTube or wherever and go to George Carlin's um, A Place for My Stuff. You know, it talks about one of my favorite lines in there is, have you, have you ever noticed that your shit is stuff and everybody else's stuff is shit? <laughs> <laughs> you want to keep your stuff. And as soon as you're gone, or it belongs to somebody else, it's just, it's just shit. <laughs> but people want, you know, they need a place for that stuff, right? You know, and it depends on what you keep. Like, because we move a lot, some of the cabinets back there, this whole wall back here is nothing but these things. And they're deep. They're like about three, uh, two and a half, three feet deep. So, you know, everything that I've got here that I'm going to move, you know, the, the, this mic and a bunch of other things, I saved all the boxes and the boxes are in there, you know, yeah. but if I didn't have that cabinetry, those boxes would be gone, right? They totally would be gone. You know, we got a flat screen TV. I kept that because it's only six inches deep, the box, and it fits on the wall of the garage. There's a garage here. But if we don't have a garage at the next place, that box is gone. It's going to move the thing to the next place and then it's going to be gone. Um, but a lot of people just want to keep whatever, uh, you know, there's. Yeah, I have that problem. Keep all the things. I, either I think I, I think uh, you're fundamentally a collector or you're not a collector. It's just personality type. You know, I'm. I'm a yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like having. What, what is it in in chemistry? You have a positive or a negative valence? You know, you're you're yeah. so you can form yeah. a compound. So people have a negative stuff valence, I guess, and they acquire lots and lots of stuff. Right. My old business partner, I forget which is which. Is the negative valence where you acquire an electron, or is it the positive valence? Some of us it's must negative. have taken chemistry at one point. I, I, I took it. I can't remember, but I think it's negative. Yeah, I know. It's like it, it's uh, it's like Father Guido Sarducci's uh, five minute university. He teaches only what you remember after five years. Mm. Economics, <laughs> supply and demand. That's it. Spanish, como esta? Muy bien. That's the end of it. That's all you remember. Uh, but um, anyway, but I was thinking that you know my my old business partner had he tended to acquire pens and. I tended to lose pens. I never kept pens. <laughs> pens, pens departed from my company, uh, but he had a negative pen valence. He acquired pens. His, his desk would have fifty of them on there, and I'd have none. You know, it, things are like that. I acquire I acquire cables. These are there's one right here, just laying here, because you can never have enough cables. It seems. Nope. But I did throw out. <laughs> I did throw out like two cubic feet of, of like parallel cables and serial cables that work with old printers and stuff. Um, but you never know years. when you might need one of oh, those there's, cables. There's zero need I'll ever need those. Zero. <laughs> zero chance I'll ever need oh, those. Oh, gosh. That's funny. But, I feel like we, is... we could segue into, remember that we did an episode with um, uh, about archiving. Who is your friend on a boat that that converts? I feel like there's a, yeah. there's a, a, a related uh, conversation here about you know, archival formats and anyway but that's a whole other yeah. conversation but i think but that's somehow what, this is related i don't know how but it is yeah but i you know it, it's sort of like there's a, a a constant war between the need for human invent the, the urge to invent you know and and the urge to move on but you're on the supply side <laughs> so you're looking good that that 12 billion dollar cabinet business is working for you <laughs> it's incredible. It's, so the, the other the other part of form follows funding is a, a big part of the reason that there's so many cabinets that are needed is over the last few years with interest rates so low, these big uh, housing development companies built these massive neighborhoods and used the absolute cheapest possible cabinets. Always. 
Yeah. And then you have to build a special, they call them. Yeah, build a special. So then after like three years, people are like, yeah, so we should really redo our cabinets. (laughs) Right. Because the handles fell off and the hinges, you know, pulled out of the cork, the cork board that the the crap rock that they were made out of, whatever that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's how, you know, that's how it goes. It's an exciting thing you're doing there. Wow. I mean, do you ever just go into, just go onto your website or something and say, I had no idea if they're doing this stuff. Oh, every day. Every day. It's unbelievable. (laughs) How how did you build? I mean, so obviously you have this kind of a nice little web app thing to facilitate this community and sharing and people sharing their designs. And I see instructions and lists of materials and and all of those things. But how did you build the community? I mean, how much of it was just organic? But how did you get it started? How did you sort of foster this environment that created it? Yeah, so initially um, it was really done on the forum and we were in there on the forum helping people and making friends with people every day. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, you had that core group that you started started getting concentric circles and concentric circles. And Mm -hmm. as we added more machines into the world, it just started just like any other kind of community growing beyond the core yeah. and now it's massive and there's micro communities. And so, yeah, it started, it started small. Do you feel like you have to do, you know, how much care and feeding of it can you do even at this point and how much do you do? Yeah. So initially it was a tongue. Um, now it's obviously a lot less and we sort of put more uh, high quality content into the community. But I think the biggest thing we can do for the community is create new possibilities in the software and the machines, Mm -hmm. because um, as we add new functionality, you see the community make new stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and especially as we make functionality really easy to use, you see more people in the community latch onto it because pretty much anything you want to do is possible with some tool out there today. Yeah. But, you know, it's like a pyramid of like how expensive and how expert you need to be to be able to right. do it. And so as we make it easier and easier, you fan out who can actually do it. So here's a weird question for you. Content moderation. Surely you must do this, right? Because That's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, anytime you have a community and this is based mm. on some of my personal experience, uh, but uh, anytime you have a community, you will have bad actors. And I've noticed yeah. I just searched dildo and found nothing um, because <laughs> but somebody out there must have attempted to upload some sort of fancy sex toy or something adult in nature. How do you handle that? Yeah, so we've gone you know, through the peaks and valleys of that. Um, we, we do have uh, community guidelines, but also now it's like well beyond our website, right? So we can't, we have no... Yeah, the Facebook groups are not you. There are other people. So the people. And by the way, I feel like I have to just qualify. I'm not saying that making sex toys makes you a bad actor. I'm just saying it might require content moderation. But there will be, in fact, people doing something that you really, really don't want on. I mean, sure, adult or otherwise. A lot of that stuff because because of the weapons. I don't know the community standards or guidelines we have on our site. They'll just go to Facebook. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then some of them are open. Some of them are closed. 
Right. Um, yeah. You know, it's the internet, right? So right. So somebody's out there making something. I mean, somebody somebody's going to make a weapon. Pretty much everything. Yes. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You can think of it. Somebody's doing it or done it. You're, ne you're never the first one. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. No, no. It seems. So, what are your long-term ambitions here? Are you just going to kind of ride this and just see how it goes, or how yeah, many so people are you? I mean, I, I'm just in, in the company that we're, we're about fifty people right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're trying to bring manufacturing technology into the hands of millions of people. And so we're not there yet. Um, we've made a lot of progress, but that, that's the true vision is like, how do we get all of these tools sort of reduced down in complexity and cost? So mm. a, a larger uh, long tail community of people can use them and make more custom considered stuff as opposed to the old model, which was let's have a big factory and crank out a bunch of stuff right. that might end up in the landfill. And so I think, we, you know, we've, we've got a good start, but we've got a lot of work to do to realize the vision. Here, here's a, and I, I haven't looked far enough into your, uh, your shop shopping uh, thing. There's yeah. the, the world seems to be moving toward everything is a subscription. Yes. Um, have you looked at that? Is that part of where you're coming from at this point? Are you just kind of amused by it, but that is that it's happening? Because no, everybody we, wants we it. Have, we have a subscription. You have subscriptions. Yeah. Yeah. So we have subscription to the software. When you buy the machine, it actually comes with three years. Yeah. Uh, a subscription included. We also offer the opportunity. So you, you can buy the machine outright, or mm -hmm. you can essentially lease to own it. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like a car. Yeah. 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 So have you noticed an increase in opting for the subscription approach rather than the owning approach on the part of customers? Yes. On the machine side, that's yeah. the fastest growing part of it is um, paying for it monthly, especially if you're using it in a business context, mm -hmm. because it gives, obviously you don't have to have all the money into it. You yeah. can sell it. Like, there's a liquid market for these things. Mm -hmm. um, so you can sell it, you can upgrade um, and, or you can make back the money of the machine before you owe it mm. because it's a, okay. it's a tool to make money. Right. So <clears throat> that way it's, it's almost like, um, a no money down house, right. Where you're, mm -hmm. you buy it and then sell it for more and then didn't have to put the money in. Yeah. One of the things I'm sort of studying right now is the subscription. It's not so much an economy. It's just kind of this option. Everybody wants it. You know, paywalls are going up in front of every, you know, newspaper and magazine. This is the simplest yeah. one. But there are lots more. Like everybody wants you to go into a recurring payment thing. And yeah. it works for people. It's not like it's a bad thing. I just think at some point um, we hit peak subscription, which is, you know, um, I mean, in, in our household, it's like, uh, okay, we're paying for Hulu, Netflix, I, we have all of them right now, except for I think Paramount. I, I, I don't. It just somehow that happened, right? And, and of course they're hitting you like they come in cheap and then they hit you for the full, full thing in a few months, yeah. and, and it's kind of crazy. Um, so I'm sort of looking, you know, toward when that happens. But it's a little off topic for you, but, I, but it's I'm just curious to see if if that's a bigger part of your business over time. Yeah. So I mean, we offer monthly subscription, annual subscription, and three year subscription. Mm -hmm. Um. And we, we give you a discount for the, the longer duration. Yeah, yeah. But I imagine 
staying on top of that must be a substantial part of your business. Some of those 50 people working for you were looking at that. Oh yeah. 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 But it's all digital, right? So like, you know, it's all credit card and digital. So yeah, you know, they're, they're not paying cash or anything like that. <laughs> so it seems so software subscription, you know, I mean, it's an established model. We could, you know, it seems a little bit more reasonable when you're paying for a subscription, you know, for a tool that, that, you know, allows you to make things and make money than, for example, BMW charging you to uh, use your heated seats, but that's all. <laughs> that's yeah. a different conversation. Well, the, the flip side of it is it's always improving, right? So we have, right, yep, think, you're always I doing think it's like 12 or 15 engineer designers and engineers um, working on it every day. So you're paying the same money, but you're, you're getting more features than you got last month. Yep, that's pretty cool. Or last year. Yeah, your, <laughs> your heated seats aren't going to be better next year. That's <laughs> No, that's just Definitely silly. not happening. Yeah, I can, I've read about that several times in the last week, so it, it kind of amuses me. But also, like the you know the value of what you can make when your machine improves over time, right? Because really, like mm-hmm. the machine can do anything now. It's just, do you have the software skills to do it? And so, as we improve the software, or add more features or functionality, then your machine can do cooler and cooler things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it. And and try um, to keep it simple at the same time, which is. That's, that's got to be a tough one. Yeah. That's the unique sort of niche we have in the market. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go find the community of people that, that restores old houses using theirs. <laughs> I'm going to plug into that in preparation for it. Yeah. that one day when I, when I find my uh, ridiculously old house, that's incredibly energy efficient and I will boil in, in Texas, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it'd be great. I'll have fun with it. Carving uh victorian embellishments anyway so i think we i think we've i think we've hit an hour um i want to make sure uh i'm borrowing this from that other show that i occasionally get to do with doc um is there anything that we we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about what do you make you i I should have asked that what do you make you must make stuff i mean the biggest project we did during the pandemic was we made a model theme park in my basement with my kid my son oh that's cool I would just say, you know, if people are interested in learning more, they can go to, um, the software is free at easel.com, www.easel.com. Or if you're interested in learning more about the X-Carve or the X-Carve Pro, you can go to inventables.com. Cool. Check it out. Yeah. I, I'm guessing, you know, my local makerspace, which I haven't been to in, well, a few years, because reasons, um, we'll have one. And I, you know, I'm kind of anxious to go check it out. That's and easel that, with us. That our listeners. The same. Just like it sounds, E A S E L, easel.com or inventables, I N V E N T A B L E S dot com. Right. Yeah, I got it. I'm pretty impressed cool. you got the domain name easel. That's that's pretty great. <laughs> I bet there's a story behind that. <laughs> For a different dollar podcast. Sign. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Uh, well, thank you very much um, for for sharing the story yeah, this, and this has been fabulous. Talking about really interesting making stuff and nerding out with us. Um, right. I, I suspect our listeners will be super into it, and uh, and yeah, give us shoot us an email if you have any feedback or or even questions. Maybe we can help get them answered. Um, so yeah, until next time. 